Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Well, it's hard work to quiet down, isn't it? Especially in a world that's uh, really all about overload, about life at a breakneck pace. It can be hard to find the time and the space to simply be quiet, to just take a moment and reconnect with our Creator. Uh, I suspect that's why many of you are here or listening or watching online. I want to welcome those of you who are following along via the internet. We kind of had a fun uh, earlier service. We had a couple of guys from across the pond who were over here from Nottingham and England, and uh, they follow along on the podcast. But uh, I want to welcome everyone to part three of Margin, which is really our series about restoring balance to overloaded lives. And last week, I introduced you to the concept of the Sabbath, or Shabbat, as it would be said in Hebrew, the buffer zone that's given to us by God, in which he invites us to actually slow down and rest and remember what's truly important in life. If you remember, we learned that Sabbath is actually mandated margin. That is, as part of the original Ten Commandments, God said, here's one of the deals, one of the foundational commandments. On six days, you should do all of your work, go for it, but on the seventh, that's it. No more, knock it off. I actually mandate that your life lay fallow with at least a 24-hour period every week devoted to the utterly spiritual exercise of this. (sighs) The spirituality of just taking off your watch and you know what? Doing nothing. You know what the root word for Sabbath actually means? To stop, to cease, to pause or desist, just rest. So there's this God-ordained period of recognizing our limits, that we're finite creatures and remembering that it's actually God is the one who runs the universe, not us. Surprise, surprise. God actually mandated Sabbath rest at creation. He took a day of rest himself at the end of creating all that he did for six days. Even though he didn't need a day of rest, he sets an example for us. Why? And the reason was because our spiritual heritage as human beings is actually one of overwork, of slavery to our work. That's what we learned last week in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which made the connection between the Sabbath commandment, actually mandated margin, and slavery. It actually linked it to Israelite bondage to the Egyptians who saddled them with this hard, back-breaking work and slave labor. Do you remember this? Exodus described the Israelites' workload this way. They said it was cruel and oppressive and back-breaking. Some of you are like, wait, that's my job. Uh, You know, you you identify with that, but this idea that the Israelites, God's people, were in slavery at one point where they were being crushed to death by the workload, more and more and more. Their main task was actually making bricks for Pharaoh's vast building projects. Now, a little background detail here is helpful, so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. It's on page 42 of the, uh, the Bibles in your seats. You can follow along with me there. We'll give a little bit of light so people can follow along. But uh, we'll look at Exodus 5, and I'll just skim a little bit here, starting at verse 6. Listen to this description of their work. See if you can relate. It said, That same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of God's people. It said, You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out to us. So we have the first biblical example of downsizing, (laughs) right? He's like, take away all their brick-making material, and they're going to make them do more with less. Now look at verse 13. The slave drivers kept pressing God's people, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. 
the Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why did you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? You ever have that one? The report was due yesterday. Meet your quota. Verse 17, Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you people are, lazy. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. This is literally, I mean, does this sound familiar, right? Meeting quotas, doing more and more, faster and faster. And like, if you don't keep up at work, accusations of laziness, what are you, lazy? So literally, this is the Israelite people, God's people in bondage to overwork. And when God delivers them, he gives them the Sabbath as a gift in the wake of their abuse as workers, as slaves, as people defined by how many bricks they produce. Now, we admitted we may not be slaves here in the 21st century, but many of us are driven, right? Driven by pursuit of success or achievement. Ambition causes us to overwork. So does fear. Uh, We fear missing out or not keeping up if we don't take it to the limit in our work or jam-pack our schedules. We fear maybe we'll miss out. So that drives some of us. We don't have slave drivers, but some of us are driven by guilt, we said, right? We feel guilty if we're not constantly on the go. We're like addicted to productivity. We, we feel slothful or lazy at the idea of taking a break, or we feel uncomfortable setting limits, actually saying no, drawing boundaries. So we add more and more onto our already overpacked schedules and hope this one is not the straw that breaks the camel's back. So fear, guilt, the Superman syndrome, you have that superhuman capacity to do it all. All of that kind of drives us, right? And it allows us to get a lot done in life, but it's a lousy way to live, isn't it? I mean, Scripture suggests it's actually a form of bondage, of slavery. The way that the Israelites were enslaved and oppressed by over, we have the same tendency to take on more than we can bear and become slaves to our labor, our schedules, driven by fear, guilt, and pride, all to the detriment of our souls and our relationship with those that we love the most. And that's literally why God reaches in, delivers them, and then the, one of the first things he does, he mandates margin. So this is going to be one of the ten foundational commandments. You've got to understand how if you're going to live as free people. He rescues them from Pharaoh, and after they're redeemed, that's, that means freed from their slavery, he tells these free people, bondage to work, that's not what I created you for. I created you for freedom, not a yoke of slavery but for a kind of living that Jesus calls actually easy and light. One in which you'll actually will find rest for your souls instead of feeling empty and burned out and weary and burdened all the time. And to ensure this happens, God mandates margin, makes it one of the pillar practices of his people. Do all your creating and work in six days, but on the seventh day, shut her down. Get her done, but shut her down by the seventh. That's the first definition then of a true Sabbath. A Sabbath is really God's way of breaking our bondage to overwork, restoring balance to overloaded lives. See, we observe the Sabbath really as a discipline, as a way of keeping ourselves from being consumed by what we do for six days. Whatever you do for six days, whatever it is that you do. We're all susceptible to that. This is our spiritual heritage as God's people. And God's idea is to move us from burnout to balance. That's why he gives us the Sabbath. So here's the deal. Last week, if you remember, I invited you to take one small step in Sabbath living, to divert daily. See, the Jewish Sabbath was a 24-hour period in Scripture, right? It started kind of at sundown. Went to, it's, but I said, let's start small. Let's not start with 24 hours. I mean, what's one thing you could do this week that would reestablish God's rhythm of rest, of Sabbath margin in your life? And so I challenge you to take a Sabbath moment. Remember this? 
I said, it could be like at the beginning of the day. Maybe it's the first 15 minutes to begin your day. You don't go smack right into work and start with the emails and the reports. You actually, and I shared my Sabbath moment with you. I went to the green, right? I met God of all people on the green there before I plowed into all my work. And it was like restore, restorative. Or maybe it happens in the middle of the day, push away from the desk at lunch. And instead of going to Dunkin' Donuts to fuel up with another, you know, big one coffee kind of thing for your, your afternoon meetings, you actually take a walk and just invite God into the afternoon. A Sabbath moment can happen anytime, which is what one of you posted on liquidchurch.com. I appreciate you guys chiming in here. Um, this one person said last week, I started to take even the smallest steps towards margin by making a concerted effort to leave the office at 5 p.m. My work was still waiting for me the next day. Surprise. By going home and hanging out with God, taking time to actually cook dinner myself, good for you, or even just take a nap, I can't begin to express the difference it's made in my life after just one week. I feel more energized and full of joy. So bring on the spiritual dynamite. I can't wait to see what God has prepared for us all. That is awesome. That is awesome. If you are new to Liquid, you need to know we are all about small steps at Liquid. Because if you're going to live in this crazy world of ours and actually somehow create like time and space for God to connect with him and actually enjoy life, not just like survive life, but actually enjoy it, you've got to have margin. And you've got to start somewhere. So good for you for drawing a boundary, okay, at work. Or maybe your Sabbath moment was saying no to one event or good opportunity that presented itself this week. Maybe it was like a project at work or an invitation you got from a friend. And even though you feel like compelled to do it, like people were expecting you to, you actually drew a boundary line in the sand and said no. And it was scary, but you did it. That's exactly what one of you did. Here's one gal's first small step. Listen to her post. This is great because it's like in your face, church. Check this out. She said, my Sabbath moment, Pastor Tim, included saying no to a great opportunity. I'm a soprano with a really big mouth, LOL. (laughs) My voice really carries, and it can sound like several people, where there's a church near me, and the leader of music there always asked me to sing with them for the two Christmas productions every year. And at first that was great. I was flattered, and I loved to share my gift. That's why God gave it to me, right? But after a while, I began to actually feel horrible about it. Even thinking of committing to another Church production literally made me sick to my stomach. Leave it to church to make you nauseous. Ha-ha. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a homeschooling mom with a husband who is an air traffic controller. <laughs> okay. I have three girls, one of which is only four months old. So my love for singing is one thing, but my children are of my utmost importance. And I'm not willing to run myself ragged at their or my husband's neglect. I want to have time to just be and continue getting to know my new baby. I don't want my girls to feel neglected. My husband works very hard to provide our income so I don't have to work. With him being gone a lot, my girls need their mom more than church needs my voice. I can't give everyone else my all and have nothing left for my family. Now listen to this. This is is significant. The reason I had a hard time saying no is because I don't believe God gave me this gift to keep to myself. How dare I say no to such an opportunity? Wouldn't God be disappointed with me if I said no? Even if there were negative motives plus the fact I didn't really want to do this? Well, that's how I feel on one hand. But then I discern other motives as well as my overpacked schedule on the other. So this week, when I got the third call to come to rehearsal for the latest production, I politely told them, no, I would not be participating this Christmas. And do you know what happened? Thy stomach ache disappeared. And I felt free. Can we applaud her for saying no? Whoa. All right. Small step huge growth moment. Some of you, do you know what your big takeaway for this entire series is going to be? The only thing that's going to make the biggest difference? 
that no is a complete sentence. (laughs) There's a period at the end of no, that you don't actually have to live according to other people's expectations. And it's okay to actually let others down and not have to explain because when you prioritize time with your family or time with your God or time to rest, you're living in Sabbath rhythms, not driven by this world. So these are small step folks, but they have a huge impact in moving us from a lifestyle of burnout to balance. Drawing boundaries, the liberating power of no. I mean, yes, even in a church, which oftentimes add to overload and burnout. When we prioritize our time with our families over busyness, those little decisions have a huge impact on the quality of our lives. So here's what we did. We turned on ourselves at Liquid this week. We said, what's our small step? And so we decided to have our own Sabbath moment at the office. Now I have to show you something. Check this out. This is actually, this is a pretty big trophy, right? It looks kind of like one of those, like a softball trophy or something there, like, like that you win. But if you can see what's written on this thing, this is kind of a funny little thing Mike picked up. You know, he paid like nine bucks for this thing. It looks like it's gold, but it's all plastic. All right. So it says here, right, Liquid Employee of the Week. We call it the Leo Award, right? And Mike got this thing. He said, I thought we'd give this out every week. He said, you know, just keep people motivated. Like the person who really goes above and beyond their job, okay? Now, here's the funny thing. It's kind of a joke because like the person like who he gives it to, they have to keep this big, you know, goddish kind of trophy on their desk all week. And look what's on the top of it. Yeah, that's a horse's rear end. You see that? Mike goes, because I don't want them to get puffed up, you know, real prideful. So, so whoever, every week we kind of give it out as kind of a funny thing, you know, and, and the funny thing is it usually goes to the person who goes above and beyond, who like gets her done. So like, you know, a few weeks ago, Laura got it because she stayed up till like 2 a.m., you know, putting people in life groups. You know, Beth, when she's working on all the graphics and stuff, or, or Jess, she, she spent all day Saturday editing a video for Sunday. Can we thank Jess for a good job with the video and stuff? That's great. And speaking of which, it's kind of weird because it seems like the women win this disproportionately like from the men on our staff. I don't know what that's about. But when we notice this, you know what this also does? It kindly, subtly encourages and celebrates overwork, doesn't it? I mean, we love what we do. And when there's so much that needs doing, the temptation is actually to lose yourself in something. And actually get out of balance where you actually end up cheating your spouse or your family or God. And so we realize that this trophy is often kind of a bloody sock in our office. The Kurt Schilling of Church World gets us every week. So here's the deal. Pastor Glenn comes up and he says, I got, a, I got an idea. He said, what if our Sabbath moment is this? For the remainder of this margin series, what if each week we awarded the Leo not to has been the most productive, not who's gone above and beyond, you know, baking their bricks, <laughs> but to the person on our staff who has demonstrated the most balance in their life. And we were kind of quiet and we were like, oh, of course, the pastor of counseling, right? You know, balance. (laughs) He goes, no, he goes, the the person who may not have gotten the most done, but they did the best job of actually prioritizing God, their family, keeping their heart and soul in a place of balance and rest, connected to God, sacrificing for their family, good boundaries, good self-care in the spirit of the Sabbath. And so we thought about it for a minute, and it was funny because uh, David, who leads our worship, actually gets up and he walks over and he grabs the trophy and he goes, well, I'm going on holiday for a week, I'll take it. And he's like, walks off, <laughs> he walks off. Sabbath keeping, so that's what we're going to do actually for the rest of this, this series. Sabbath keeping is adopting a new perspective on our work, on what those six days really mean. Do they own you? Is it all about reaching the gold ring and hitting the bell and how many quote, you know, bricks did you break? How essential is it? That we don't let a thing that we do for six days, the majority of our lives, actually enslave or come to define us. 
See, the Israelites as slaves in Egypt, they were literally defined by their productivity. Check this out. Go back to Exodus 5. This is literally, in the ancient world, you need to know this, this is how they literally ranked slaves, how they were valued. How many bricks could you put out an hour, right? It's all about meeting quotas. Well, it's like, okay, well, Helen can crank out 20 bricks an hour, but Brian can do 40, and Pat, Pat can do 60 bricks an hour. He is the most valuable slave, and he can do it without straw, do less with more, right? So catch this. A slave's value was determined by their productivity. Yeah, a lot of ways, the same as our culture, right? We define ourselves not only by what we do, but how many bricks, how productive we are during those six days. And then it's hard to turn off, right? So we say, well, she had an amazing, she had an amazing week. I mean, she sold seven houses that week. Oh, man. He closed 21 deals in one month. He saw 40 patients in a single day. Oh, well, did you hear about... Oh my gosh. Well, she made it. She went to a PTA meeting, then went to this mops thing, then went to this community committee, and she coaches soccer on top of it. And we start defining ourselves by actually how much we accomplish in those six days. And God knows that is how the culture will drive us. And then sooner or later, guess what? We come to believe that we're defined by how many bricks we make. We have value based on how productive we are. And that's why God gives the gift of the Sabbath. One 24-hour period to reprogram your mind and think again because you have value far apart from what you do. A full season of margin every week to get your mind right. God's like, I'm calling this the Sabbath, which means cease, stop, rest, don't do anything, do not add any value to this world. An entire day during which you're not defined by your productivity or how many bricks you break, you have worth apart from what you do from how well you perform or produce the other six days. This is, the Sabbath is literally like a reminder from God saying, I love you for who you are, not just what you do. It's an entirely different relationship. And so he mandates margin to bring things back into balance, into perspective for us and remind us, we're not living in Egypt anymore, <laughs> right? By the way, you've probably noticed thus far, I've not given you any tips or techniques for like jamming more into your schedule. This is probably frustrating for some of you practical types because you're like, I came to this margin series to figure out how I could actually do more and cope with all of them. <laughs> because true margin is not about learning how to fit more in, but learning to live by a new set of rules, a Sabbath mentality where you are not living by a driven schedule. A Sabbath mentality means you are actually attuned to the give and take of work and rest, of being and doing, and doing and being, work and rest. And if you work that into your life and commit yourself to the holy rhythms that God lays down at the foundations, it becomes obvious when you are living out of sync, when you're overloaded. It becomes obvious when you, have a, when you need time for, for recreation. You actually start at thinking differently. You actually know what to say no to. <laughs> you know when to actually downshift into a season of rest and play and prayer. I saw this yesterday morning, Saturday morning, uh, with Mike Coyle, actually, who was in the video. Kim and uh, invited Kyle and me and our kids out to their house for lunch yesterday. And, uh, and that was great. It would have been nice. But uh, things were a little bit overstressed kind of the night before at our house. So I called Mike up and I said, dude, um, I can't think of a good reason, but no. <laughs> I'd love to hang with you, but I, I no. And Mike goes, way to go, man. <laughs> Because he, he's like, there's redemptive value. And you know what? Just hanging around a house with the kids on a rainy day instead of trying to rally the troops, get them in the car and go to one more thing. And then he's like, 
you're trying to win the award, aren't you? You know? <laughs> and the funny thing is this. If your friends and family actually begin understanding, yeah, he observes the Sabbath. They may get miffed at first, but they begin applauding. Because they see you starting to set boundaries and priorities and you have more of yourself to offer when you are with them. See, Sabbath-keeping, folks, is about restoring freedom to your life, about divine margin, this holy buffer zone that everyone needs for balance and perspective on who we are and what we do. And that replies regardless what kind of job you have. I mean, whether you're a business person, you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, you're an artist, a teacher, a a hedge fund manager, a student, if, if we're to be effective in whatever we spend our days doing, we must have margin. See, that's the pushback I know that some of you have because right now, some of you, I I can read your mind, I have this prophetic gift. You're thinking this. You're like, this is great, but um, this is for weak people. (laughs) This is for those people, oh, that's nice, who can't keep up. That's nice, he's making them feel better. Or or this is an excuse, Tim, for for laziness because how are people going to hear this? Like, you know, you know, we live in a capitalist, you got, you got to, or, or, or you're thinking, you know, I would, I would like to do this, Tim, but, but like, who has the time for this? You know, I mean, it must be nice to be able to, uh, to say no or whatever, but like, I actually have a boss and he's more like a modern day Pharaoh. I mean, I know it must be nice. You're like a pastor dude and all. So I guess you just like pray all week or something. I don't know, but I have a real job. And if I take time away or I don't reach my quota of bricks, I will not get paid. (laughs) I won't get done what I need to get done to which I say, so your work is important. Well, what do you do? Let me ask you this. Is it as important as Jesus's work was? Because if you remember, our example is Jesus. And their anchor verse for this whole series was Matthew 11, in which Jesus made this invitation. He said this, right? Let's read it together. Ready? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Follow my example. I am about to show you a new way to live. Entirely different approach to life. And if you look at Jesus' example, you'll quickly see that even the Son of God took a break from his work of, what was it he did again? What was his day job? Oh, right, okay, right, saving the world. So let's look at this. This is a passage in Mark 6, okay, which records this. I love this passage. It tells us everything we need to know about Jesus. It says, the apostles, these are the guys who followed Jesus. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done in talk, because Jesus was sending them out. He was training them. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. See, folks, even Jesus recognized the human need for margin for this buffer zone between one's load and their limits. This account in Mark takes place at the height of Jesus' ministry. It's like the apprentice. He's training his apostles. And he's sending these 12 guys out. And here's the thing. Incredible things are starting to happen. It's not just Jesus anymore. The sick are being healed by the apostles. They're kicking out demons. The kingdom of God is literally beginning to break into this world. And they come back to Jesus with this like breathless support. They're like, you got to see this. Oh my God, it, it happened, it's true. Look at all we're doing. I mean, Jesus, we are kicking it, man. And the people, I mean, look at them, they're lining up, right? There's so many needs and we didn't, we didn't even have a chance to eat. We worked straight through lunch, Jesus. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 slow down here. He sees the red lights going off on their dashboard, right? They did not even have a chance to eat. Spiritually significant verse. 
when you start skipping meals to do ministry or work of any kind, it is a symptom of the subtle slide back into slavery again, of overwork, of the compulsive minister rising up in all of us, no matter how noble our work may be. So, so what does Jesus say? It says, as the crowds press in, so like more and more customers, let's use your language, queuing up, he says this, he goes, okay, at the height of everything happening, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Sabbath moment. Time, in other words, for a retreat. You know what a retreat is? You know what a retreat is? It's actually a military term. Did you know that? That's where it comes from. A retreat is literally defined as a strategic withdrawal. Actually, okay, I want you to imagine the protest here. I'm imagining like Peter at this point because I imagine going, okay, yeah, what, here's, I don't know if you heard us. We didn't eat lunch, dude, because there are so many people and big things are happening. Folks are lining up and the, and the sun is going down and Jesus is like, shh, I, I know, I know, I know. Push away from the desk, get in the boat. I want to spend some quiet time together. I promise you, Peter, they'll be here tomorrow. Let's take a Sabbath moment for me to minister to you. Question, was there more work to be done? Oh yeah, for sure. Was this noble work? Absolutely. Crowds lining up, sick people pressing in, following Jesus, more to heal, endless ailments, bottomless needs. And yet, Jesus does not compulsively work to meet all of them, even though he was the only person on earth with the power to do something about it. Why? Because the secret to Jesus' power was living out of moments of margin with his father. Observing the rhythms of the Sabbath in his life so that actually his work was life-giving to everyone involved, not life-draining. Accomplishing a lot, but actually loving little. Pushing ahead, but you know, dropping the shoulder and doing it all in his human strength instead of his father's strength. And so Jesus actually walks away in the midst of it. He's like, uh, yeah, sorry, folks. That's it. Time to eat. And he walks. And you imagine the disciples like, what? <laughs> and Jesus is like, I said that's enough. The, the sick will be here tomorrow. But, but Jesus, there are endless things. Did you see the poor lady? I know, I know. The poor you will always have with you. But here's the deal. You won't be able to do a thing about it unless you come away with me by yourselves. Quiet down. Get some rest. Have something to eat. Let me minister to you. Sabbath moment. Withdraw. Only then will you be able to re-engage the battle. First, you have to retreat with me. Retreat. That's the spirit of the Sabbath. A strategic withdrawal in which you give God the space and time to actually replenish your soul and renew your strength. In fact, that's the, that's the second good definition of a true Sabbath. We're going to have a few of these today if you're taking notes. A true Sabbath is a strategic withdrawal from work that is never done. Amen? Our work is never done. <laughs> it's, it's a fact. I know some, I see some of, you, some of you are not. You're like, it's true. <laughs> we think we're making progress, but it's actually an illusion, right? I mean, you know this. I mean, I feel good about you know checking things off and I got the to-do list. But we complete certain tasks, but it's like digging a hole in the sand of the beach. You ever do that? It's like the minute the hole is empty, right? What happens? Water rushes in. It's filled all up again, right? Like, like I, you know, I get my email box get to zero. I walk in the next day, bing, 173. Oh, you ever see the movie about Schmidt? Jack Nicholson plays that salesman, right? 30 years. He's, he's a faithful worker. Be, in the day of his retirement, he bequeaths. A young guy comes in, takes his job. 
And so he retires, but he gives all 30 years worth of meticulously organized files and reports and billing to his young replacement. And the young kid thanks him and goes, oh my gosh, thank you. This is a huge lifesaver. And there's this like changing of the guard. Well, what happens is the next day Schmidt returns. And what does Jack Nicholson see? In the dumpster, 30 years of his files of deals and paperwork and projects and awards in the trash. And life goes on without him. The work is never done. That's the human predicament. The only work that gets done and counts for something is God's work. Check this. The word finished occurs two significant times in scripture, one in Hebrew, one in Greek, one in Genesis where it says God finished his work of creation in Genesis two, and then he rested. And then in the new Testament on the cross where Jesus says his last three words, let's read it together. It is finished in John 19, which is God's literal declaration that the only work that in this world that truly lasts, that truly makes a life changing difference is Jesus, God's only son on the cross, dying for our sins so that we can be completely accepted by God apart from what we do. It's called grace. You can't earn your way into God's favor. You can't make a mark and say, I'm significant with him. He sends Jesus to die in our place so that we can be accepted as we are and actually set free to live for him and actually enjoy his friendship. That's salvation. That's called eternal life. A life with an eternal quality to it. You, you know what eternal means, by the way? Think of it this way. You know what eternal means? We throw that around. It's a churchy kind of word, eternal life. Eternal literally means no longer bound by time. In other words, the rules have changed. Time, schedules, it's not about schedules anymore. It's not about meeting deadlines. It's not about making baking bricks. You're not in Egypt. You don't have to compulsively follow the rest of the rats in the race or see how high you can drive people to produce. It's about freedom now, freedom in Christ. And it comes exclusively through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The only work that changed the rules of the game. So when Jesus said, it is finished, that's significance, folks. Because it doesn't just mean we're forgiven. It means God accepts us as we are. So you can stop your striving or all of our attempts to prove something, to make our mark or gain significance from what we do and actually just rest in Christ's sacrifice in what Jesus did for us, not what we did for God. We're fully acceptable to God. We don't have to prove our worth to him or anyone else. We don't, and, and that's contradictory because some of you are like, well, wait, I thought Christians were supposed to like put on a, you know, a proud face and show how strong we are. Actually, scripture says God opposes the proud and gives strength to the humble, the weak. In fact, God prefers something uh, when we acknowledge our limits and reestablish our dependence on him. I, I am like so, I know this is starting to sink in for some of you, okay? Because this is a life-changing truth if you take time to apply this. If you absorb the significance of Jesus' work and the kind of rest that he offers, you will approach your work differently. You'll actually make different decisions and you'll resist the urge to be Superman. All things to all people all the time. Check this out. This is a cool email one of you wrote. This is the, you might identify with this, particularly you teachers. Um, what really spoke to me from Tim's message is that God has already completed the work that really matters in Jesus' death and resurrection. Remembering that God has and always will provide all our needs has been a challenge for me with my new job. See, it's my first year as an elementary school teacher. And I feel the public school pressures. Here it is. 
every student must love learning. Every student of mine must be a great reader, must excel at math, must have high self-esteem, and I must help them pass state tests with flying colors and develop them into socially adept human beings. And I'm the teacher, and I'm responsible in charge of all of this. You remember this first-year teachers? I've been taking on these pressures superwoman style, never showing my vulnerability and almost never asking for God's advice or help until yesterday. Monday morning, I hit my breaking point of anger, frustration, and self-doubt, which led to tears, physical illness, and some scary chest pains, right? All the signs of a major, like, you know, minor anxiety attack. Well, I prayed to God for strength and felt him actually telling me to take an extra day off from work because he needed to talk to me. I spent the day in rest and prayer, building my relationship and trust in God. If I had plowed through and gone to work, listen to that language, plowed through, right? Think of that yoke, oxen plowing. If I plowed through, I would have depended on my own strength to get through it, most likely resulting in worsened health and a more distant relationship from God. Thank you, God, for calling out to me when I needed you most. Even when I'm too busy for you, you're patient and waiting for me. The stress will return. I know it always does. But my next step is to turn to God right away rather than try to solve it alone. This message series couldn't have come at a better time. See, folks, once we acknowledge in humility that our work is never done, and that we need rest, and we give God the space and time to minister to the deeper places of us at the level of our souls, not just our muscles and our minds, but our souls. And catch this. This is not self-indulgent. Taking hold of margin is for the benefit of others. I mean, parents, let me ask you, those of you who have, you know, or your teachers, would you rather have your son and, or, and daughter, uh, who would you, which kind of teacher would you rather have your son and daughter have as a teacher, right? A burned out teacher at her wit's end, but she has perfect attendance and state scores. She's burned out and bitter. <laughs> We've all had that. Or actually a well-rested, emotionally healthy, nurturing mentor who actually is open-hearted and compassionate. Which one would you rather your kid have? Yeah, me too. Sabbath is a strategic withdrawal, a retreat to use military terms. Track with me. Do you know when a general purposely orders a retreat? It's actually not to admit defeat. That's how we think of it. Like, retreat, we're getting our butts kicked. No, retreat is not surrender. Retreat is a withdrawal for the purposes of actually regrouping so we can re-engage more effectively at a later time. And when you follow Jesus' model of withdrawal, you will actually perform better when you re-engage. Because the pressure is off. You actually know it's not about your performance or how much you can produce and plow through, but about the rhythms of engagement and rest, of doing and being, resting and engaging, because you need rest. And you need recreation every week. Did you know that? And that's the third purpose of the Sabbath. A true Sabbath is an act of personal recreation. Not recreation, recreation. I'll tell you the difference in a minute. So check this out. We looked at Deuteronomy, but here's the deal. The Sabbath command appears two places in the Old Testament. Once in Deuteronomy 5, once in Exodus 20. So can you turn there real quickly to Exodus 20? Um, These are almost identical verses, word for word. But this Exodus account has a little different twist at the end, which is significant because it tells us something else. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now listen. Neither you, nor your son or your daughter, don't overschedule the kids, nor your manservant or maidservant, you would take Saturday off, don't burn the people who work for you, 
nor your animals, leave the dog alone, nor the alien within your gates. Now watch this. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Deuteronomy, the Sabbath command is connected to slavery, backbreaking work, bondage. You're not defined by how many bricks you produce. But in this passage in Exodus, the Sabbath command focuses on what? Creation. The two central acts of human history, right? Of God in human history. God as liberator, freeing his people. God as creator, actually creating everything and recreating it when he brings his kingdom in. Now, so here's the deal. We've spoken of God as a redeemer, freeing us from our sin and our broken approaches to life and work. But this second one, folks, God as creator, as like author of all creation, this is key to margin. Because the Sabbath at its heart, when we observe it, truly observe it, is an act of personal recreation in which we give God permission to enter into our world and actually recreate all that is broken and damaged and torn and chipped and stretched in us during the week. Over six days, you get mud on you and things shrivel up. Show you what this looks like. Turn to Mark 3. This is Jesus. Now, here's God the Creator. See, Jesus not only lived out of the Sabbath rhythms, but he shows us what the Sabbath is actually for. Check this out. This is amazing. Uh, Mark 3, we'll just look at the first five verses here. It says this. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, that was the Jewish church, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Jesus was always like going into the, the church on the Sabbath. And some of them, those are the religious leaders, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Now, see, here's the deal. By this time, the religious leaders had taken this to the other extreme, right? They came up with lists of things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. They're like, 274 things you cannot do on the Sabbaths. Why do we insist always on making lists, right? (laughs) Not to do lists, but in the Pharisees' case, not to do lists. They're setting this trap to Jesus, see if he'll violate the Sabbath by helping a guy with a shriveled hand. Because they were like, if you practice medicine, that's working. So this guy has a shriveled hand. Now watch this, because Jesus is going to make a critical point about the heart of Sabbath living. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored, completely, on the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot how they might kill Jesus. People in charge of the show don't like Sabbath keepers. (laughs) Because Sabbath keeping is one of the ways that God demonstrates his power to heal and restore and bring wholeness to our broken and hurting world. You catch this? 
See, Jesus is healing of this man with the shriveled hand. This occurs on the Sabbath. This is no coincidence. It demonstrates the recreative power of the creator of all as Jesus restores and brings wholeness to this broken guy. He restores a man on the Sabbath who literally has been shriveled. And I mean, you know, you know what Jesus' main message was. What was it, the core of his message? The kingdom of God is here. In other words, the one who created everything and now look around you and it's all like broken and damaged and torn and shriveled and destroyed through its brokenness. I am putting everything back together because I am the creator. What you saw in Genesis, author of creation, that's me. And I have returned to mend this broken world back together, starting with you, restoring you, restoring sight to the blind, raising the dead to life, giving rest to the weary. Practical application. The Sabbath then is about letting Jesus reach in and completely restore what the world has shriveled and broken inside of us. It is the moment every week where the author of creation gets to recreate you. This this interesting fact, this is where we get the word recreation from, right? Town I grew up in, we had like a department of recreation. That simply meant, well, these are the guys who plan stuff you do on weekends, right? So you plan, you know, the recreation department, they plan soccer and sports and hockey or dances, kind of that kind of stuff. That's not the word where it comes from. The word recreation originally comes from recreation. The true meaning of the word is that the weekend or the original end of the week, the Sabbath day, is all about giving time for God to recreate us. The process by which God actually reaches in and repairs what's been broken or damaged or shriveled inside of you during those previous six days. Because life takes its toll, doesn't it? Interesting fact. Do you know what the number one growth industry is in the Northeast that's related to the issue of recreation? Does anyone know? If you want to open up a business, this would be like number one growth area. Spas and salons. And some of you are like, yes, nails. No. You know, spas, you ever been to a spa? How many of you have ever been to a spa, right? Okay, oh, I see double hands. You're like, yes, now you're preaching. When you take the time to slow down, right, and like you kind of receive pampering, maybe a massage and just unwind, and it's funny because this article in the Times was noting how with the demands of modern living, it's not just a girl thing anymore. More and more men are making time for spa treatments than ever before. It's not just ladies getting a manicure and a facial, men are getting into the act too. Now here's the deal. Revealing moment, okay? I experienced firsthand a couple years ago when I took my wife Colleen to Baltimore for her birthday. Um, it was her birthday. I want to take her somewhere special. So my parents watched our kids. And so it was just me and her. We went to the Inner Harbor, right? Beautiful. I wanted to see the Orioles. It was her birthday. So it was all about Colleen. So, uh, so we had a great time. We went out for seafood. We, you know, went to the aquarium, all fun stuff. But the last morning we're there, I'm like, uh, so sweetheart, what, you know, what do you want to, what do you want to do today? It's your, your birthday. Whatever you want to do, we'll do. And she's like, whatever. And I was like, within reason, <laughs> right? And she gets this look in her eye and she picks up the hotel phone and she just like starts dialing, right? And I'm like, all right, you know, maybe she's making dinner reservations or something. So like I take a shower, I come out and she's like all excited. She's like, honey, this is the greatest gift in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, what? What are we going to be doing here? Because now I'm thinking this is bad. I'm going to like end up antiquing or something. This is not going to go well, right? You know, and she's like, no, 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 no. You will love this. I promise. I promise. I booked a spa treatment for both of us. (laughs) Couples massage. And I'm like, high five. Not so much. (laughs) I'm like, 
you like go to a spa like she goes yes it'll be fun i promise come on i was like oh you got to be kidding me but you know it's her birthday so i'm a good husband so i'm like all right i'll go with you i'm not into that kind of thing but uh we go to this spa and immediately when i stepped in man i was like oh i was like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs i was so nervous because there are all these ladies in the lobby and there are candles everywhere flickering candles and I can smell something. I start sneezing. They got like some potpourri or some aromatherapy. And they're like playing Enya. You know the music. There's this like babbling waterfall. You go in. And, uh, and I must say, it was an experience. If you, you know, you've been to a spa, um, you know, and so they lead us in. And what do they give us, right? What do they give us to put on? You can take everything off and put on a robe and these slippers. So I'm standing with the robe and the slippers, right? Candles flickering, gurgling water, and, you know, words like serenity, peace, you know, calm, tranquil. They're carved onto these stones, right? And so I'm like, all right, it's her birthday, it's her birthday, just help me with this Lord, you know? And so I'm all nervous at first. I put the robe on, and they bring us into the waiting room, and then they give us tea. They serve us tea. And, uh, and there are five other people there, and they're all chicks. And, uh, and Colleen has to use the bathroom. I'm like, this is not good because right on now I only have this robe on and underneath it, I only got what God has given me on. And I'm around strange women I don't know. This is not good, you know? So I'm like really nervous. And then secondly, I'm like, what if some other guy walks in here and sees me who I know? So I'm like really anxious. And third, I feel like this is like, this is, I am, this is my feminine side and I am not getting in touch with it here, right? I'm walking around in slippers. And the gal comes in and she says, lay back, Mr. She puts cucumbers on my eyes. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you. Great. Yep. Okay. Salad on my face. And, uh, and so Kyle comes back. She's got, she, she's, you know, we're, we're sitting there. They're piping in string music. And I'm like, oh, is that a lute? How beautiful, you know? And Kyle's like, isn't this good chamomile? Isn't this great? You know, like, and I'm like, you know, whatever. I take the cucumbers off. And I'm, I, at this point, so funny. I think my masculine, you know, I, I, I was, I start sorting through all the magazines, like trying to find like Field and Stream or Guns and Ammo or something, you know, that, who am I, you know, and um, anyway, I'm, I'm all nervous, and then it's our turn for the massage, and so my wife and I were led in this room together, and this Swedish lady, I swear, she has on her name tag, Inga, says, lay down on the table, side by side, and I'm like, okay, you know, and I like lay down, she goes face down, you know, and it's like face down. And I'm like trying to squint through it and the music is playing. And uh, I'm like kind of nervous. And Kyle's like, here, you know, just hold my hand. We're laying on these two tables. And I'm like starting to chill. And then all of a sudden, I, I feel this cold stuff squirted on my back. And I like jump straight up, right, you know. And Inga's like, no, it's just lotion, Mr. Lucas. You know, come down. And I go, okay, okay. And she begins rubbing this lavender lotion on my back. And, and Kyle's like, it's okay, honey, it's okay. And so she's like, just relax. So she's doing this thing, and I'm just like, okay, really relaxed. Yeah, it's good times. Where are the cucumbers? And, uh, and I'm laying there, and I actually feel, I'm actually, I feel my muscles kind of relaxing. And, you know, she, Inga's providing the soundtrack. Feel the tension melt away, you know? And I'm like, you know what? This actually, it... <laughs> I am literally asleep. I mean, it was, not, it was under 10 minutes, and I was like a bowl full of jelly, Right? I honestly would have stayed for the rest of the afternoon if our time hadn't ended. In fact, the only reason I knew that the time was up because Inga decided to put lotion on my feet, and my feet are crazy ticklish. 
like freak you out ticklish. Like I, I'll take a swing at you. So she's like, you know, she starts rubbing lotion on my feet. Like my eyes bug and I jump off and Colleen's like, oh, not the feet, not the feet. Don't do the feet. And, and I was like, oh, okay. And Danka Inga just back off. And I get, I get my, my robe on, you know, and I, and I lead Colleen into the anteroom just to chill and relax. And, and they, come, they put compresses on her eyes, give us these little sandwiches, you know. And, um, and I, I start kind of, you know, all right, you know, squirming again. But Colleen's loving every minute. If I'm like, happy birthday. And um, 15 minutes, literally, I fall asleep again in front of this, this fire. It just, just zonk, snoring. Kyle started actually getting embarrassed, and she woke me up when it was time to go. And, and honestly, the tables turned because I was like, can't we just stay like, just for the rest of the afternoon? Uh, but we couldn't because the treatment was over. So I, you know, shower, get dressed. And I, and I have to admit, I walked out of there. I felt like a different person. All right? This is my admission. Don't tell my wife this. Right? I didn't say any other service. But it's like, I was like, I would do that again. <laughs> I felt refreshed. Colleen was like, that's because you were pampered. I was like, don't say pampered. You know? I was refreshed. I literally walked out of there feeling like a new man. And I was like, I-, I can see what she's talking about. So I come out, we meet in the front. They, you know, they give us a little, I think it's like a lilac branch. They're like, take the serenity home. I was like, thank you, you know. And uh, <laughs> oh, I take the serenity home. And so all the tension is gone. And then, of course, I get the bill. And like my you know, stress, boom, skyrockets again through the roof. <laughs> my, my point, and I do have one here. I'm going somewhere with this. Lean in. The people who run these spas they understand something, don't they? They understand something elemental that most of us neglect to our peril. They understand that day-to-day living in this hot and dirty and busy and broken world damages us. It wears on us. It actually breaks and chips away at us day after day after day. The the, the screaming kids, if I have to say no one more time and then you got to say it 19 more times before the day's over, they chip away at your sanity. The, the stress at work or school chips away at your peace. If I, if I don't hit my goals by, by, by months, I get that quote or get that report, and there's going to be trouble. I mean, just the day-to-day grind, folks, you know this, chips away at you, the expectations people put on us, the static and the conflict in our relationships, the stuff that just does not go as we planned, illness. Life is hard. It wears on us. It makes us weary. It makes us burdened. And sometimes it has a physical effect. It's when you have a heart attack, but it has a deep emotional and spiritual impact. That is why spas have become so popular, because we're a marginless society. And what used to be actually natural, taking time to relax and be still and let God restore us, that's gone. That's old-fashioned. Sabbath? Whatever. I go to church on, you know, Sunday if I can. And then football. (laughs) Or shopping at the mall or zipping around. Not recreation, our version of recreation. That simply just means 21st century busyness. The spa that Colleen and I visited build itself as a retreat for both mind and body. The Sabbath is, in a very real way, a spa for your soul. It is devoting intentional time to withdrawing from the world and actually inviting God himself to restore us. To actually show us how to relax, to slow down, and take time for self-care, reflection, and connection with our creator who makes all things new. Get this? Are you tracking with me? Not a professional. Not a Swedish woman named Inga. God himself. The Sabbath is literally God's spa. Take an entire 24-hour 
period of your week to slow down and just invite Jesus to reach in and actually touch whatever has been shriveled and restore health and wholeness. Heal the broken parts of you. Everything that's been chipped or torn inside during the preceding six days. I told you about the week Colin and I had to start the series. I mean, it's just a string of stressful conflicts one after another. We had to work at home with each other, our kids here at church. Then we started gunning for each other. And you know what happens? That does something to your heart after a while. Whatever you do, whether you're in ministry, whatever you do. And you know what God invites us to do after a season of stressful engagement? Get thee to a spa. My spa. The Sabbath spa. Where you give your creator dedicated time and space, undivided attention to care for us, to put our racing minds at rest and bring actually peace to our hearts, ease our burdens, and restore our soul. This is literally the psalmist. He leads me beside what? Still waters. He restoreth my soul. Catch this, get this. The Sabbath is God's arena for mending all that fabric in you that gets ripped by the load and the criticism you receive at work, that gets damaged and chipped, sometimes by those we love, by critical spouse or by crazy kids. The Sabbath is where the God of all creation has a chance to recreate us in the original sense of the word, gently approaching and touching the shriveled parts of our life and restoring wholeness. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And the Sabbath is the central engine to it. Get this? Now check this out. So I'm researching the Jewish observance of the Sabbath because this is a Hebrew custom and you won't believe the parallels with the spa experience. The only rule of the Sabbath was easy, no work. (laughs) Six days where you create and add value to stuff. I want you to think because I want you to start thinking about what a Sabbath would be for you. You had six days to add value to the world, accomplishing, producing, whatever that is for you. But a true Sabbath would be taking 24 hours and doing nothing that moves the ball forward in your life. So think about tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday morning for you. Sorry, downer, I know. Track with me. How do you add value tomorrow? What is it that you do, right? Maybe, maybe you raise kids. Maybe you, you're a businessman. You earn money. You're a real estate agent. I don't know, graphic designer. You study. Whatever you do for six days that moves the ball down the field, a true Sabbath would mean you cease or stop doing anything that progresses making bricks, anything that's depleting to you, that adds value. Rather, you are simply to enjoy the fact that you are valuable to God apart from what you do. Sabbath is 24 hours just to bask in the fact that I am God's child, dearly loved, valuable, quite apart from whatever I accomplish. So the only rule of the Sabbath is no work. Stop your creating, stop your doing, your deal-making, your phone calls, your investing, your decorating, whatever it is you do to add value. No work, and you're like, well, what would I do? Well, here's check this out. The only two things you could do during a traditional Sabbath were pray, talking, reconnecting with the Creator, talking with God, reflecting on God, or play, like children. Children don't have to be taught how to play, do they? Adults have to be reminded. Do you know what observant Jews do at the beginning? Think about this. You want to talk about spa Sabbath? You know what they do at the beginning of the Sabbath on sundown on Friday? First thing they do? Light candles. As a way of inviting the light of God's presence into darkened lives, all the mud that came on during the week. Sometimes they will eat braided bread as a reminder of the need for God's presence to intertwine with their lives and untangle all that's been knotted up in them during the previous week. Do you know how contemporary Jewish Sabbaths end? Does anyone know this? What element it ends with? 
a glass of wine and a box of spices. Some of you are like, I'm converting. It is symbolically meant to evoke the desire to bring the sweetness of Sabbath into the rest of your week. The rest of the six days flow out of this. It literally has all the trappings of a spa. The candles, the incense, the quiet, the sensuous. Married couples are encouraged to make love on the Sabbath. Why? Because it is a literal act of recreation itself. Families go for long walks. Many Jews attend synagogue. The Sabbath was meant to be this deeply recreative experience that brings peace in mending at the deepest places of our mind, our bodies, our souls. It's a gift to you. It's like a spa ticket from God where you strategically withdraw, break your natural bondage to overwork, and say, God, here I am. Just restore me during this time. Make me whole. There's stuff broken here during this week. It's an act of recreation or rest oration for you. Jesus' invitation to the disciples in Mark 6 still stands. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Let me take care of you. Let me replenish your reserves so that I can then send you back out to re-engage with the world. Got the idea? You tracking? All right. Here's your challenge for the week. Last week, I challenged you, Sabbath moment. I said, divert daily. What's one small step for a, for a Sabbath moment? Folks, you need more than a moment. <laughs> the original Sabbath was a full 24-hour period from sunup to sundown because it takes time to truly just quiet down. Just like I was in, it took me a while to kind of like get into what was happening here in this spa thing, right? Sometimes we're just so full of adrenaline. and ner- Okay, making room for God in our weekly schedule. So this week, we go to step two. Step one, divert daily. Step two, withdraw weekly. What would it look like for you starting tomorrow at some point this week to take a full 24-hour Sabbath? A full, don't leave, (laughs) a full 24-hour period as totally dedicated to doing nothing, nothing but going to God's spot, withdrawing from your work, turning off the beeper, and engaging in an experience that is restoration of the deepest parts that engages with God as your recreator. It could be any 24-hour period. I'm saying if you like take 12 here, but then you need to do something for a couple hours and you take another 12. But late afternoon, next morning, whatever. The only rule is no work. Pray or play. And this is where it's going to get challenging for some of you. Because it means you can't be at your desk or, or with the kids. So like moms, you would actually have to leave the house, right? But you have to, t- dads, you may have to check them into a hotel. I don't know. You must take a full 24 hours to withdraw from your regular place of labor and battle. But here's the rub. It has to be devoted only to what restores you. What recharges your batteries? What would that be for you? What replenishes your reserves? Brings you to life. Whatever you choose, it can't drain you. It actually has to have a relaxed effect. It can't be practical. It must be like, well, I'm going to clean out the garage. That'll make me feel better. No, it's just doing more stuff. <laughs> All right? It should connect you to God as creator and restore your joy and replenish your reserves. Let me tell you what this looks like for me. Just give you an example. I want you thinking about what this is for you. Tomorrow is my Sabbath. You guys don't know this? Maybe some of you know this. My Sabbath is on Monday, okay? And it literally is like the only thing in my life that keeps me sane. Because Sundays, honestly, no offense, they are tough. Sometimes brutal. This is not a Sabbath for me. I love it. I love my work. I can't I believe I get to do this with you guys. But you know what? This takes a lot out of me. I go home spent most Sundays. 
just destroyed. <laughs> I mean, last week especially, all right? It's not just the messages or being with like people all day, but the, the curveballs, like the spiritual warfare, the opposite, discouraging stuff. So Monday is the day that, you know what I do sometimes? I literally like just sit and God reaches in and, and, and I'm like, God, some things got broken this week. <laughs> I need you to put back together. Everything that's broken and stretched and depleted and used up. So tomorrow on Monday, here's what I do typically on my Sabbath. I turn it all off. I don't do email. I don't read ministry books. I don't study. I don't work on the website. I don't do jack for church. I stop baking the bricks. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath, you couldn't plow or cook or do anything related to your profession. More than that. On, sun, on Mondays, I'm untouchable. I don't take phone calls. Because the only ones who get to touch me on Mondays are God and my kids. So here's how my Sabbath goes. At the Lucas household, my Sabbath actually will start about, oh, this is going to be great, around 10 a.m. <laughs> That's when my wife lets the kids in to attack me while I'm sleeping, uh, which seems like it might be cruel, but this is actually a joy for me. Most mornings, I'm kind of out of the house pretty early. But on the Sabbath, my little boy comes tearing in, and we do what he loves best. We wrestle. We jump on the bed, right? And it's the coolest thing because they, the kids know, actually, I, they don't call it Monday anymore. They call it Sabbath. They come right and they go, Sabbath time, you know? It's kind of like this, like, Sabbath time, you know? And they, like, they, like, jump on the bed, you know? And, like, we start jumping up and down, like, all right, here we go. And we play cream pie where we hit each other in the face with pillows. And, and we play. And you know what? Those are holy moments. They're holy moments. It goes on for an hour or so or, or, or until someone gets hurt. And... Um, <laughs> And, and you know what I'm talking about. Right? And then we go downstairs on Monday. And you know what we do next? My, my little girl turns on iTunes and we have a dance party. Mostly Hannah Montana stuff. That's what I do, okay? I dance with the kids. Holy moment. Because you know what that does? That gives me the space and time to do something that actually re- re- restores me. Sometimes the kids deplete me. That's restorational playing with my kids. Just unstructured on Monday. Just in the morning. And the day goes from there. The only rule in our house on Monday is no work, nothing that drains us. And that's an adjustment because you know what? This is only, a, this is a rec- this is wet cement, folks. This is as recently as this year. Mondays used to be manic, manic Mondays. Neither Kyle or I worked, but we just used that as an extra day to do whatever we couldn't do on Saturday, <laughs> you know? Get the to-do list done. And you know what? We find ourselves running around. It's a different form of busyness that did nothing to restore us. I mean, there is nothing recreative about going out to Target or Route 10 just to fill up your downtime, you know? No good. Holy play. The only rule is play or pray. So we have dance parties and puppet shows. I walk, you know, my kid to school. And then Colleen often gives me a gift in the afternoon. Not that kind of gift. She will... <laughs> she will... <laughs> holy moment. Come on, work with me. She, she will often take my kids, the kids in the afternoon, so I can have two hours alone. Solitary. And you know what I do? I get on my mountain bike and I go in the woods behind our house and it is something that is restoration, Tim time. I haven't made it back to the spa yet. But there's something about crashing through the woods and knocking over roots and trees and stuff and coming home covered in mud and sweat that brings me joy. Because it's a different kind of effort. I'm usually like, you know, my nose and books are in front of a computer all week. And you know what this does? When I come back like that, it like unshrivels my soul. I feel my leaves turning green again. Half the time, I end up stopping, actually, in the woods sometimes just to pray. I mean, like, Lord, I mean, just like, just, just to talk with God, just to stare at the leaves. Just like to be, to think about my creator. Sometimes I cry at nothing <laughs> because the woods sometimes are so beautiful and God is present in his creation far apart from church in this moment. And he meets me there, Sabbath. 
And if Kyle and I are lucky, we'll get the kids in bed. And you know what? We won't just watch TiVo or reruns of something. We actually just, sometimes we just sit and, and, talk, and talk. We don't do TV. No internet, imagine. Sometimes we read. Monday is a lifeline for us. It is our Sabbath. God's spa day where he gets to, to restore and mend everything that the locusts have eaten during the week in my life. I wonder what restores you. What is it? What awakens you to the presence of your creator and gives him space and time to replenish your reserves? What could a 24-hour day at the Sabbath spot look like for you this week? What would it be? I mean, the activity you do is secondary. The only requirement is that it has no redeemable value. It doesn't move the ball forward. It doesn't get you paid. It doesn't cross something off the to-do list. It restores you. It fills you up on the inside. You meet God the creator. I have a friend. Uh, he was in the morning service, and he said, you know what it is for me? He kind of like admitted this to me, like a real kind of shameful. He's like, I garden. He was a football player. <laughs> I go, you garden? He goes, yeah, I work in the office all week, boardrooms and meetings. But there's something, he's like, there's something about like when I get down and like, you know, I, he goes, you know, just like spread manure. It's like a spiritual experience for me, you know? I was like, really? He's like, don't tell anybody, you know? And, uh, and you, some of you know what he means. I think of Mikey, Mike Lee. Some of you don't know. He's a huge fisherman, just loves to fish and he's good. So last week, Mike leaves work early because he's like, I'm going for a Sabbath morning. I'm like, what, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going fishing. And he's like, I haven't done this in, in like months. He goes, I've been so busy with church. But man, do I meet God in a fishing boat out on a lake? And I'm like, well, there were some other guys who knew something about meeting God in a fishing boat on a lake as well. <laughs> See, life is designed to pickpocket you of these things. But they're essential. And Sabbath restores them. You don't have to remind a child to play. Only adults lose that capacity as we grow older. What restores you? What would it be for you tomorrow or this week? I don't know. Don't tell me watching TV, okay, or shopping. This is not about escapism or consume, consumption. It's about being present to God as the Lord of all creation. Say, bring your restorational power. So maybe you spend an afternoon reading or napping or hiking. I want to encourage you to think about spending your Sabbath day outside this week. There's a reason Jesus retreated to nature. He was always going to the mountains or the wilderness when the crowds pressed in. Why, why is that? Well, you know, I mean, you know, when you're close to creation, you sense the presence of your creator. It's why some of you say, it's when I go to the beach. That's when I feel closest to God. It's like the wind and the waves and the sun. It's just, just, like, just like amazing. It's because you're seeing the recreative power of, of God, right? Heaven and earth. I created all of this. Let it inspire worship in you. What could you do this week? 24 hours. How many of you feel like you could afford 24 hours? Afford 24 hours. How many say, I'd love to do it, can't afford 24 hours, do? I would reply to you, can you really afford not to? Can you really afford not to? This is a vital gift from your creator to you. In six days, I created all that you see, and on the seventh, I recreate you. Because life will wear you down. But the Sabbath, my gift, will restore you. What will you do this week to let God restore you? I hope you're going to take this step. It's an important one. Divert daily, small step. Withdraw weekly, big step. And before you know it, you're going to start entering the powerful rhythms of Sabbath living that Jesus lived and ministered out of. One request. Would you let me know how it goes? Don't email me. But post your experience at liquidchurch.com, okay? And we're going to check in next week and see how you did. Does that sound good? Shake your head. Some of you are sleeping, taking a Sabbath. Okay, all right. Let's, let's pray together, okay? Stand with me, would you? God, thank you. Thank you for the gift. You are a creator, God. And we just 
we just announce today, you're our recreator, God. We need you every day, every week, Lord, to undo what this world does to us. Thank you, Lord, that tiredness and sin and brokenness is not the final word. We were meant for more kind of living, a glorious kind of life, an eternal life, one with a timeless quality that is a source of joy and meaning and adds value to the lives around us. Lord, would you restore these men and these women in this room, those who are watching online, those who are across the sea, our friends in England, Australia. Lord, even reach in now and begin your restoration of your people. And we all said together, amen. Let it be so. God bless you.